Welcome to the Sunday morning service at Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia, where the Bible is opened and explained. Christians are encouraged and Christ is lifted up. Thank you for joining us and may your hearts be blessed as God's word is taught. And now, enjoy this message from Pastor Lauren Regeer. Let's have a word of prayer together. Father, thank you for the word of God. I pray that it will be real, made true in our hearts, applicable to us. We're grateful that you have called us uh, with your own name. By your grace, you've made us part of your family. And then, Lord, you've given us an opportunity not just to meet you someday out yonder in heaven, but to develop an intimacy with you through prayer and through study of the Scriptures. And, Lord, I pray that we would use the vehicle, the conduit of prayer, not just once in a great while, perhaps on Sunday, but, Lord, that we would live in a spirit of prayer, praying without ceasing, just walking with you, ushering up uh, words of praise and petition all day long. We're grateful for a God that's close at hand. And we pray today that as we spend a few minutes in the Word, that you would give us a sense of how we ought to walk and live and pray. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. Well, last week, if you were here, we started this series of disciplines of the godly life, and we started with, if you remember, how important the Bible is, the essential discipline of Bible study. Your devotion to God, we reminded you, must be an expression of time spent in the Word. It's where God reveals Himself to us, and our study of God must be not just listening to podcasts, perhaps, and the opinions of men, but it must be centered and the Word of God. And we uh, focused last week perhaps not only on a time and a place, but three questions you ought to ask the text <laughs> as you study it. Uh, and that is, first of all, what does it say? What does it mean? And how does it apply to my life? I mentioned five R's. They're not original with me, but you ought to read the Bible, reread it, and then reflect upon it, record uh, what you've seen in the Bible, and then rejoice. Just give God praise for the lessons you're learning. There was a man that wrote a hymn about the Bible. It's called Holy Bible Book Divine. If you've been around church a while, you probably heard this song somewhere. His name was John Burton. He wrote the hymn a few years ago, 1803. Precious treasure, Holy Bible Book Divine. Precious treasure, thou art mine. Mine to tell me whence I came. Mine to teach me what I am. This week in Bible school, we learned that God has an has a eternal plan for us, that we didn't just happen because of a big explosion and years and years of mutations, but rather God had a design for us. Mine to tell me whence I came, who I am. Mine to chide me when I rove. Mine to show a Savior's love. Mine thou art to guide and guard. Mine to punish or reward. These are all benefits of studying the Word. Mine to tell of joys to come. One-fourth. Are you aware that this book is special? One-fourth of it, when it was written, was predictive or prophetic. No other, no other book can do that. Explain the future. Mine to tell of joys to come and a rebel sinner's doom. It warns us, O thou holy book divine, precious treasure, thou art mine. So the question is, if you applied the lesson last Sunday, what have you read recently in the Bible? What have you recorded? What have you shared with others? What wonders have you seen in the book? 
And how is that changing you? I don't want us to be like the children of Israel. The Lord told Ezekiel in Ezekiel chapter 3 and verse 6, I could have sent you to any foreign country in the world, Ezekiel, at the time. And they would have listened to you. But the house of Israel, by the way, who had the law, the house of Israel will not hearken or listen to me, for all the house of Israel have hard foreheads and hard hearts. The King James there says, impudent and hard-hearted folks. They had copies of the law, but they did not love it. How sad. Uh, I used to work for a farmer in high school and college in Kansas who he had all kinds of livestock on the farm. And I was kind of green to the farm, although I lived in that area. Uh, of course, grew up on the mission field. And the Amazon, we had animals, but they, uh, they didn't herd well. They <laughs> alligators and such, parrots. But uh, when I worked on the farm, he, he used to say this. He said, we have bulls and boar hogs and horses and even some sows and cows that are so stubborn. They are so stubborn that the... Uh, only thing they're good for is the sale barn or the slaughterhouse. And the only language they understand is a two-by-four across the forehead. I wonder sometimes if that's our spirit concerning the treasure of the Word. We're hardened to the gospel. We're hardened to the truth. I hope that's not our testimony. Uh, I am thankful so much for the Word of God. Now, today we move topic we talked for a few minutes before our meeting to come about prayer, and this is really part one of a couple of sessions we're going to have on prayer, and it's really focused on the one object of prayer, just one point. The Sermon on the Mount was given to just remind uh, folks there, Jesus came, one of his first sermons, public sermons, to remind them of the rules of the kingdom and the, the king. And all kinds of topics are mentioned in chapter 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew. There's teachings on evangelism and anger and temptation, divorce, vows, forgiveness, love, giving, stewardship, fasting, and worry. But in the middle of it is a short section we call the model prayer. I want us to read those verses. They're familiar to most of you. But it's his, it's his initial, not exhaustive, but his initial teaching on prayer. Remember the disciples asked him, how do we pray? They weren't looking for a, a handbook. They had seen Jesus. Imagine this, Jesus praying. He is a in the habit of praying often to the Father. And I wonder sometimes what our definition of prayer would be. I kind of wish this were a Sunday school class right now because I'd ask you, what does it mean to you to pray? Do you ever do much of that? You say, oh yes, I pray. I pray when there's a storm coming. <laughs> I pray when we can't make the bills. I pray in times of crisis. I pray in times of need. What would you define prayer as? Think about it. I've written some things down, not to speak for you, but I've written some things. A heart cry to God, communication, asking. I think John R. Rice writes a book, Prayer is Asking. God, 
talking to God, imploring God to work, a cry of dependency, I like that, a face-to-face meeting with God, the bridge to heaven, development of friendship with God. How would you define your prayer life? Say, Pastor, I haven't prayed till we, I guess the last meal I ate, we prayed. I want us to look again at these words beginning in verse 5, chapter 6. And when thou prayest, this finds its place embedded in the Sermon on the Mount, when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are. You see, the culture of prayer in Jesus' day was it was, a, it was really a ritual, a religious public duty. They memorized parts of Scripture and they prayed them back to the Lord. And it became stale, almost machine-like. They're hypocrites. They love to pray standing in the synagogues, the corners of the streets, so that they might be seen of men and heard for their articulate praying. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward, their applause on earth. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, a secret place, and when thou shut the door, there communicate, pray to the Father which is in secret, and thy Father I've circled the times the word Father is used. Thy Father, which seeth in secret, shall reward thee openly. But when ye pray, don't use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking, their long prayers. Be therefore not like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, and this little short prayer, this five or six verses here, you know it, you've memorized it, but don't forget how it starts. Our Father. The primary purpose of prayer is to establish an audience with one who is, hopefully, your Father. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed or set apart, one of only one, uniquely holy and pure, thy kingdom come. Parentheses, not mine. Your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. So give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. What a wonderful prayer it is. It's not, again, exhaustive teaching on prayer. But it is, in fact... God's design for us to come to Him, first of all, and cry out for Him. There is an interesting way in which this sermon ends in chapter 7. It ends at the end, of course, by a, a, a tremendous warning about what happens when we do not pray prayers that um, have any kind of context in the heart of God Himself or without any relationship to God. In fact, he says, there are some that have prayed, and I will not listen to them. There are some that want to get into heaven even, and I will not listen to that prayer. 
You see, they're probably the scariest verses ever are found there in chapter 7 and verse 21, beginning there, not everyone that prays or says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Many will say to me at the day, their last day, or the day of judgment, have we not prophesied we could add to that, prayed in thy name, taught Sunday school, done VBS? We've even cast out devils in thy name. We've done many wonderful works. And I will profess to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work scariest verse to me, verses in, in all, of, all of the New Testament. I will profess to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Do you know something this morning? This is just by way of, of setting the context for the great priority in prayer. It may be such a thing that some of you have prayed a sinner's prayer. And your prayer was, Lord, I know I'm a sinner, but I sure would like to miss out on hell, gain heaven, would you save me? And you're trusting a prayer, but you've never, ever trusted Christ to be your Lord and Savior. You wanted a ticket to escape the fires of hell. And the Lord is reminding us there is a prayer that gains the attention of God. I am the way, the truth. I am the door. And some folks have clamored around the door, but they've never received Christ. They've never wanted Jesus. All they wanted was an escape from hell ticket, right? And they wanted that ticket to God, like the rich young ruler, promise me eternal life, and then I'm going to live my life the way I want it. And then when it comes my day to die, I'm going to trust that prayer to save me. And the Lord says to all of us who came with the wrong prayer, be careful. Because broad is the way that leads to destruction. There are many on that road. Few find the narrow gate, the straight, the narrow gate, because I'm the door. Scary. Not everyone. These are the Lord's words, verse 21. Not everyone that saith the praise unto me. Not everyone that says, oh my God. Have you noticed this out in public? Are truly related to God. Not everyone that bows before their bed at night, now I lay me down to sleep. Ever heard that little prayer? I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Not everyone who prays that, every child who prays that, is related to God. What a surprise it will be in heaven to see who's there and who isn't. How great of the grace of God to pursue the sinful heart. Well, the priority, here's the main point this morning, the priority, the priority of prayer. What is it? What is the priority of prayer? We've already read the verses in the model prayer, as we call it, beginning in chapter 6 and, and verse 5 and beyond. In this manner, verse 9 says, you should pray, our Father. The priority of prayer is a desire for God Himself. Mark that down, and if you get that, You've got it. The priority of prayer is a desire for God himself. 
Let's begin with that premise that it's His presence, His kingdom, His righteousness, and not our own, that, 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 that this is the really reason God gave us the capacity to pray at all. It is a search for God, His attention. His will, His priorities. Chapter 6, verse 33, you know this verse by heart. But seek ye first, what? The kingdom of God. His righteousness and all the things will be added to you. In Zechariah chapter 8, don't turn there for sake of time. Zechariah chapter 8, verses 21 and 22, there is a scary verse about the coming day in the end times. Well, it's scary in the fact that there are many nations that are not going to be there, but the, the blessing of it, those verses in Zechariah chapter 8 are this. Listen as I read them for you. There's a day when all the people of all the nations will go again to Jerusalem. Why? And, the, and the, here's what the verse says. Let us go speedily, quickly, to pray before the Lord and to seek the Lord of hosts. I love that little song. It says, give me Jesus. You can have the world, this old world. Give me Jesus. Is that your prayer? Has that been your prayer recently? Lord, I want you. Not just all the benefits. Not just my tooth to quit aching. Or my kids to do right. Lord, I want you. And Lord, I'm not going to leave the prayer closet until I know that you and I are rightly related, that I'm walking in fellowship with you, in your heart is that strong desire for intimacy with me. And Lord, that should drive me as well. Lord, I need you. We don't pray high enough, do we? And the Lord chides us actually for an over-concern about clothing and food. Not that these are wrong. We see that even in the model prayer. Give us this day what? Our daily bread. But the Lord says, even the heathen, chapter 6 and verse 32, even the heathen, uh, our Gentiles are seeking these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you have need of these things. Okay to ask God for things. Chapter 6, 11, 7, 11 tells us that. We're, we're, it's, it's okay to ask God for these things. It's, but it's God's nature to provide these things. The priority is not things in prayer. It's for God himself, a quest for God's personal presence, his plan, his purity. Jonathan Edwards says this about prayer. It is, in Scripture, the peculiar character of the saints that they are those who seek God you were to be honest about your prayers, have they started with that? Our Father, my Father, Abba in heaven. So often we rush into his presence and lay before him all the cares of our life. And a good father will listen. He does. He cares. And we cast, first of all, all of our cares upon him. We know that he cares for us. Instead of coming before him, bowing and saying, Father, you're unique, holy, the only God. You're my Father. I worship and adore you. I need you, not just in this hour, but in every hour of my life. I cannot live 
without your presence and power, your wisdom, your life. I need you. The psalmist David cried out in Psalm 63, 1, 2, and 8, O God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee. My flesh longs for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. David is not talking about necessarily a physical drought. He's saying spiritually it just feels like it's so barren where I, where I minister, where I'm the king. The people have no heart for you, and God, I'm crying out for you, your presence, your power, your might, your voice, your direction. Lord, we need you. Can I just admit as a pastor, sometimes when I preach, it feels like I'm preaching and the desert sand is hitting my face. I wonder sometimes, is God working out there? Do we want God or not? Do we want Him to work in our presence and in our church? Do we want Him to revive our hearts in the midst of the years? Do we want Him to work on our watch? Or do we wait for Him to work in some other generation? My prayer since I've been in college has been, God, don't skip us. I know your hearts are filled with what's going on this afternoon and tonight and this week, but I ask you, have you really prayed for God himself to manifest himself in your life? Psalm 73, 25, Lord, it says, Whom I have I in heaven but thee, and there's none upon earth that I desire besides thee. The first duty then is the delighting in God's presence, the communion of nearness. Such a desire in prayer is for intimacy with God. It brings life to our soul, spiritual vibrancy. Psalm 69, 32, Your heart shall live that seek the Lord thy God. Prayer then begins with a hunger for God, not just what God can do, but for God himself. I have a question for you. Just one point, but we're surrounding, we're circling it. Do you think that God ever hides himself from his people? Careful now. Would God ever just decide to turn his back on us and walk away? You say, never. God would never do that. We're his children. Be careful. I want to just use an illustration about this. It may ring, um, ring true. Perhaps this hasn't been something that's been your testimony. Or I hope not. But imagine a father who has a son. Uh, and he's living in rebellion, away from home, cursing his parents, causing them grief, prodigal in every way. And yet, and yet, the son one day calls out of the blue and says, Hey, Dad, Mom. It's me. Remember me? I have some $2,000 that I need just to get back on my feet. I'm in trouble. So what does the father do? He finds perhaps a way to come up with that money. Then a few months later, 
uh, after not hearing from the son at all. Dad, how about just a bit more? I'm kind of falling on hard times. I'm four months behind in my rent. <laughs> and so if you would just maybe, maybe just come up with 5,000 more, I need your help. And then after never calling, texting, or writing for a year, the son returns just for a quick visit. He's on his way from here to there, and he stops by the homestead. And he drops in the kitchen, and as he's looking through the fridge for a quick little meal, he says, Dad, Mom, I don't have time to stay. I just, I just want to grab a quick snack here before I move on. Two years pass. Nothing from the son. And then finally you hear a knock at the door, and it's your son with a girl. Let's call her Chloe. And they come on in, waltzing to the living room, and they say, Dad, this, or he says, Dad, this is my girlfriend, Chloe. We've been living together, but we'd like your blessing. We're getting married. Her parents don't approve of me, but I know you do. You're, you're my dad. I'm your son, right? And we were wondering, since they're not going to pay for the wedding, would you? Oh, by the way, she's pregnant. And you ought to be happy about this. You're going to be grandparents soon. Woohoo! Isn't that wonderful, Dad? Then in two years, another call. Me and Chloe are splitting up. I can't take care of my two kids alone, and I want to know if I can hang out in your basement. Is that spare room still available? Maybe I could mow the grass once in a while to pay off my rent. Maybe I could do something just to earn my keep while I'm there. shouldn't be long. What is your response as a parent to that? Well, it could be that you would say to your son, whatever his name is, son, guess what? We've moved. We've moved. Where, Dad? And the dad says, we're not telling you. We're hiding. The prophets in the Old Testament would characterize God at times as hiding from Israel. Psalm, Isaiah 57 and verse 17, uh, God speaking to His people, I hid me and was angry or wroth. Judah's idolatry was breaking God's heart. So in Isaiah 45, 15, he says, Verily, thou art a God who hideth thyself, O God of Israel, the Savior. Judah was chasing idols and then running back to God's presence when they got in trouble and said, God, deliver us from the enemies. Deliver us from this hardship. Deliver us from this famine. We don't want you nor your rules, but, but we sure need what you give us in terms of blessing and benefit. And God simply at times hid himself from his people. Not because he stopped loving them. But he wanted to send them a message that I'm not the God who you could consider a convenience store. I am your Father. I am unique and holy. And I want your full and undivided attention and obedience. The God who hides himself. We can't just run into God's presence and pull a verse out of context and say, Well, God, you've promised always to answer when I call upon you to show me great and mighty things, which I can't even imagine. Living outside of obedience. Remember, priority one in prayer is a desire for God, His presence, His righteousness, His kingdom, 
Praying first is to declutter our prayer requests from all that is us and to cry out for all that is God. That's the priority in prayer. Standing beside two gates in contrast in Matthew chapter 7 and in Luke chapter 13, it's a corollary passage. There are people wanting to go down these roads. Some are clamoring to go down the narrow road because it's the road that leads to eternal life. And they're praying to go to a place called heaven. And God says in Luke chapter 13, you may want to just turn there as we close, Luke chapter 13, the corollary, the corollary passage beginning in verse 23. Um, there's people praying. They want to get in that narrow gate that leads to eternal life. And the Lord is characterizing the kingdom here in Luke chapter 13, which again is a reflection of Matthew chapter 7. And after characterizing the kingdom, there's a hand that goes up in the audience in verse 23, unnamed. Someone said to him, Lord, are there few that be saved? And he said unto them, strive, agonize, this doesn't mean you work your way into heaven, but agonize to know God. The door, the way, the truth, the life. Strive to enter in at the narrow gate for many I say to you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. The unanswered prayer, and this is a, a warning to all of us, statistically, few there be that find it. Could it be that even in a congregation of this size, not all of us who say we're on the right road are? Few there be that truly want me. And when once the master of the house has risen up and hath shut the door, there's a time coming where your life will end or God will come back for his church, opportunity will cease, and you begin to stand without and to knock at the door saying, Lord, Lord, open to us, and he shall answer and say to thee or to you, I know you not whence you are. It doesn't mean intellectually God doesn't know your name, he does. It means savingly he doesn't know you. What do they say? And you will begin to say, we have eaten and drunk in your presence and has taught in our streets. You have taught in our streets. You've been close to us all our lives. But he shall say, I tell you, I know you not whence you are. Depart from me, all ye workers of iniquity. And the Bible says, those that are, those that are coming to God with the wrong kind of prayers their own kind of desires and requests will be cast to a place where the Bible calls it hell. And there will be weeping. That's the response of those who see their, uh, themselves in a place the Bible calls hell for all of you. And they'll be weeping as they just well up in regrets for being so close to God and yet so far away. And then there's those that are going to be gnashing their teeth. This is a response of anger. mad at God for disallowing them because they came to him the wrong way. Quite amazing, quite shocking, quite sobering. And it relates to the sine qua non in prayer, the most important thing. 
And Jesus, of course, would remind us that when we come to Him, we are to come to Him asking for Himself to be our Savior. Oh, we understand our sin. Nobody wants to go to hell. Everybody wants to go to heaven. But do we want God the solution to our sin? Do we want Him to control and rule our lives? Do we want to live in obedience to Him? Do we want God or do we just want an escape? And this is a sobering way that sermon ends. One day at His return, the end of our lives, dear friend, the door will shut and you will meet Him as the one who holds the key to your destiny. Don't be surprised if you come to the door seeking only a get out of hell pass and nothing more. Don't be surprised if you are on the outside looking in. How important it is to know that God loves us and wants to be related to us. And as we put our trust and faith in Him, it also carries with us, carries with it the meaning that I submit now to God. I trust in His finished work. I trust that He is the one who paid the payment for my sin, but I want God to be my Savior, God to be my leader, God to be my ruler, His Word to be my guide. I want God, not just all the benefits that come. Well, interesting it is, this wonderful lesson on the priority, the preeminence of prayer. I love the story of a little boy who was seated on the back porch of the big, big ranch. He was only 10. His dad was beside him, and they were looking in the evening at the expansive ranch before them. And the dad leans over and says, now, son, now, son, I want to tell you something. You're only a little boy, but I want to tell you, even though you're only 10, you see all this out here? He says, if you keep your grades up, if you fly right, if you work hard, this one day... All of this, son, because you're my firstborn, all of this will be yours. And there was silence, no answer. So the dad said it again, son, do you understand? All this is going to be yours. And the son said, dad, why would I want all this? <laughs> the dad kind of got shocked by that. Well, well, son, this is a big old ranch and it's all going to be yours. The son said, Dad, why would I want all this when I have you? All your life, perhaps, you have been coming to God saying, Would you please fix this, heal this, give me a little more money for this, change this, Bring relief to this. Help me to get over this. Get me through this. And you've never come to God for God Himself. God says, I'm going to take care of all of that and all of this. Pray about it. That's okay. I'm going to take care. But you need me. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. It may be such a thing that tonight, we don't have a service tonight. Some of you are going, woohoo. I know how you think. You're busy. You've been working hard all week. It's the fifth Sunday. 
And we're going to give you some time off with your family, but I want you to do this. I want you to find a prayer closet, even if it's just for five minutes. I don't care if it's 5.30, 6.30, or 11.30. Get alone with God. And say, Lord, you've promised to take care of me. Your eye is on the sparrow. And I have a boatload of things that I could ask you for, but I just want to let you know how much I love you and need you. Seek God. The priority of prayer is God Himself. Let's pray together. Father, what a joy it is to have a God like You who patiently waits in our rebellion and our running away. You patiently wait for us to come back to You and to recognize that the greatest need we have is to seek Your face and seek it evermore. Forgive us for paying attention to everything except for you and all kingdoms except for thine and our will instead of yours. The quietness of this moment with heads bowed, and I appreciate your attention this morning. Could it be that there's someone here that has even prayed a prayer for heaven or for an escape from hell, but you've never really Come to God and said, Lord, I need you to save me. I need you to be my Savior. I need to trust in you. I need you to enter my heart and life. I want God, not just the benefits that he provides. Maybe by a lifted hand, you say, I've never really received Christ as my Savior. I've trusted a prayer. Thank you for joining us today. Please tune in each week for new messages from Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you.